Welcome to Design by Us, the show where we discuss how humans design the world. My name is Luigi, and on the other side of the screen, we have Ravi Chohan, uh, my co-host of this podcast. And this is the second part of our IKEA series, and it's really fantastic. During part one, we discussed really interesting things. Uh, Ravi, please, if I miss something, let me know. But we talked about how design enables IKEA's business model. And we're using IKEA as an example because this could be definitely extrapolated to other um, business cases. But what we want to explore in this episode is how has IKEA designed the post-purchase experience and how is designing the future of, of furniture with AR, the future of retail stores and online sales and, and with their IKEA labs and partnerships with other brands like Sonos, Lego and more. So a big part of IKEA's product is the fact that they have shifted the assembly process from their manufacturing line to the user. How is that even possible? How does that enable IKEA's business model? Yeah, absolutely. So imagine this, right? You've been into IKEA, you've gone up those crazy escalators, uh, you've been grind effect into submission, you've bought a bunch of stuff that you didn't even need or want, but you've also got your, your Billy bookcase and that is the thing you went there for. So you, You've got the, you've gone into the, the warehouse area, you've picked it out and you've gone through the fi very long queues. I don't know. The queues always take forever at IKEA. I don't know if you ever felt that. And then you finally got it in the car. You've driven home. Maybe it's been a 20 minute drive and you finally got it home. And you're like, forget this. I'm going to bed. I'm really tired because going to IKEA, it takes a lot out of you. But the next day you look at those flat pack boxes and you think, right, finally it's time to do this. Do you think you're good at assembling IKEA furniture? Yeah, I think I'm pretty good. Yeah, I think I'm pretty good as well. Um, but what if I what if I told you that we're not actually that good at it and actually it's just been thoughtful design that has enabled us to actually do that, right? A designer somewhere has spent loads of time doing the thinking for us so we can put it together and think, oh, I'm bloody Bob the Builder or I don't know any other building pop culture references, but I think I'm really bloody good at putting furniture together. I, you know what? I really feel like maybe one day I'll retire and I'll buy a wood shop and, you know, you know all those kinds of thoughts and feelings that make you feel like um, a woodworking genius when you when you put together some IKEA furniture, right? You must feel that. I know I feel that. I think that I feel that, but I also think there are pretty dumb people still <laughs> that don't know how to assemble IKEA furniture. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. The reason why we're able to do that, the reason why we're able to think that, it's not because we're smart, but it's because somebody has put a ton of thought yeah. into their manual design. We made an illusion between IKEA uh, and Lego in the previous episode. Uh, and actually, when you're looking at the way that IKEA design their manuals, Lego is a phenomenal comparison to make. And again, going back to how design enables IKEA's business model, if these manuals weren't good, the people wouldn't be able to assemble them. If they weren't able to assemble them, then they wouldn't buy any IKEA. And IKEA would have to change their, their business model. One way of looking at manual design is making the best out of a bad situation because you're putting this user in this horrible situation where they've got to build it themselves. Alan Dickner, who actually led up the, the manual design team at IKEA, said that sometimes assembling IKEA stuff can feel like something between civil engineering and captaining a submarine. Maybe you feel like you're good at it because you feel like you could do both of those. I don't know. And the people who actually make these manuals are called instruction designers and internally they're, they're known as, as communicators. Now, what makes a uh, IKEA manual really special is that they are black and white and they have illustrations, not text. And I'll come back to the black and white in a bit. 
And those illustrations uh, show you what to put together. They show you where screws go. They show you where dowels go. They show you how the pieces go together. But they've used some really clever tricks to make this really easy. If you were to grab an IKEA manual right now, you would see that all of the illustrations are from the same point of view. Each step is like a picture pretty much. And basically what they're doing is they're basically taking that picture from the same perspective each time. So it's almost like you're building it in front of a camera and you never move the camera. And the reason why they do that is not to confuse the user. And actually, pro tip if you're assembling any IKEA stuff, if you've got enough space, angle uh, your bookcase or whatever you're building to the same angle that you see on the paper will just make life so much easier. When I learned that as a kid, I was like, wow, that's it. That's the next step. My dad, my dad would always be like, oh, no, we don't have to move it. You were like, like, where is my engineering degree? <laughs> yeah. Where is my engineering Literally. degree? Um, Literally, yeah. So that's, that's, what, that's why they do that, because they want you uh, to have that continuity. Yeah. Again, what's really interesting about the manuals as well is that they start with a promise. So they start with a with an illustration of what the end result is going to be. So instead of just starting you on step one where you take the first piece, there's always, this is the thing you've bought. This is what you're working towards. Don't worry, you will get there. Which is, I think, is quite a, a nice way of incentivizing the user to kind of have a successful outcome. Because if, yeah. if they can get the user through this, then, you know, it's all boxes ticked at that point. Yeah. And... What's really interesting as well is that the illustrations themselves are, they don't, they don't take photos and trace it afterwards, or they don't draw them afterwards. What they actually do is they actually use original 3d models that they, yeah. that they created and they base their illustrations off that. And they might delete a few elements to make it a bit cleaner or whatever else it might be. But the reason why they do that is so that it's totally true to life and that there's no interpretation that goes on later. It's straight from, you know, the CAD file that they originally made when they first created uh, the model as well. And the yeah. people that make these manuals, they actually build it themselves a couple of times to figure out what steps they want to prioritize when, uh, and that kind of thing too. Last thing I mentioned the, uh, the black and white manual. Yeah. If you pay attention to IKEA stuff, very rarely does it say, I'll connect the red thing with the blue thing or whatever else it might be. They don't, they don't use that as a way of creating instructions in them or, or in their assemblies. But sometimes you do need to use color. And one example of that is electrics. So sometimes in the, in the UK, if you open a plug, you'll see like a red wire and a black wire and a uh, brown wire. On IKEA plugs, those are all patterned in different ways. So that way in the manual, even though it's black and white, you can, in the black and white manual, you can still reflect what each wire is because it's not about the color, it's about the specific pattern that's on them, uh, which is also great for accessibility as well. Interesting. You know, I was, I was thinking while researching for this project, for this episode, do you think there is some sort of gamification in the IKEA manual design? And what I mean by that is let's put a few easy steps first. So they think, okay, what, what steps do we want to prioritize? Let's say steps A, B, and C, but it turns out that step, step A is a really hard one. So is there a way yeah. that we can put some easy steps beforehand so the user builds confidence and say, hey, I can do this and I can continue? Yeah, maybe, but maybe they also put some stuff that you have to put together yourself initially so it's harder to return later. Because if it's step A, you're like, oh, forget this, I can't do it, I'm returning, I want my money back. But if you've kind of already built like a third of it, then you're thinking, oh, I'm going to take it apart and I've already kind of used it, the return is going to be difficult. Uh, That's yeah. actually pretty smart. Maybe, maybe they do do that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And the IKEA manual has been, is, is super iconic. When I was researching this, one thing I found online was, have you ever seen Alien? No. 
Oh, man. The movie, Alien. Yeah, the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah so you know the Xenomorphs in Alien? Yeah. So somebody did an instruction manual for assembling a Xenomorph, which was taking an egg and all this kind of stuff. It was really funny. Yeah. But even though it didn't have Ikea written on it, you knew it was Ikea because they've, they've really, instruction manual design is, is definitely part of their brand. That's such an interesting thing that just something that is black and white about furniture, you just see a piece of furniture with the same layout, let's say, and you can easily tell that's Ikea. Yeah. And they've that's got hard. characters. They've got characters. I don't think you'd be able to draw it off the top of your head, but they've got characters which represent the user. Um, you'd recognize that as Ikea as well. And, and actually when we were talking about problems and things like that, Ikea add reassurance in their design by showing a character scratching their head with a question mark thought bubble coming off them. And then the next, the next frame or the next illustration is them calling up for, for help. And they also offer a helpline as well. So they're incentivized to make sure that, right. If you can't do it with the manual, we'll find a way to get you to do it. And for me, that is, that, that's awesome. Interesting. That's a great user brand relationship there. Cool. So after discussing what, what thought process goes into IKEA manual design, this is super correlated with the thought process that's go, that goes into the IKEA's product design. There is a Harvard business uh, study that basically says it was done in 2011. You will find the link in the show notes that you value as a user, you value and build a stronger relationships with an item that you build yourself. And they call that the Ikea effect. And they, the question is how the design process of an Ikea product is correlated with, with the actual product as a whole, right? So what are the guiding principles that define, we're going to design this product that is going to build by a user and and at the end of the day, this product is going to be in your house. It's going to feed an ecosystem. You're going to live, you're going to use it. Uh, it's going to be part of your lifestyle. It's going to be part of your status as a, as a person. Your, the IKEA brand is going to represent your own personal brand and your family, right? So whenever someone comes to your house, they're going to be like, oh, this person uses IKEA. They care about design. Uh, they don't really care about super expensive or, or consumer products, but they care about design. They care about the environment. They care about easy to use things. And, and they just care about simplicity. And there are two main things that I found that was quite interesting and I want to share with you. Number one is IKEA's principle about the four loops. And this loops about using the circular economy. And they always start with, with a similar question is how can we define the product life, lifespan? How much is the user going to use this product? How can we make sure that this product doesn't break during half of its lifespan? So. And they, it all comes back to the user and the user behavior. They have the scope of the project and they say, who's going to buy this, who's going to use it and how is it going to use in, in, in the day to day. These four loops basically is, you will find a picture of this and, and a link to this study in the show notes, but these four loops basically starts with how can we use recycle materials? Okay. In the initial manufacturing process as the base. How can we move that recycled material then into the, the manufacturing process and say how we're going to remanufacture new products and, and use these recycled materials to, to, to remanufacture a new type of product or a new assembly line or, or design components that are reusable. Okay. And what I mean by reusable is, is let's say modular products, products that, that serve, and I'm going to add this link to in, in the show notes in Ikea, you have this something that is called a, a chair lab that you can combine different chair tops with different bases 
and you can they basically do it with Dest too, right? They do that with Dest too, but it's yeah. just really interesting that you can you can create your own chair, and you can also create a higher affinity with the product once you build it yourself, and you say this is probably one of the only ones in the market. It starts with recycling, using using parts from from the supply chain. It goes with remanufacturing. Uh, making sure that you can modular, modularize your products and, and reuse them in the manufacturing process as well. Then with refurbishment, if something breaks, how can we make sure that the user doesn't have to bend the whole product, but they can just fix a small part so you can save a cost, you can, it's good for the user, and you, can, you, you don't have to remanufacture a new, a new part, and it's just a small fix. So and finally, really interesting. reuse. Oh, Sorry, let me go ahead. Let continue with the last, the last loop, is reuse. Um, once a product fulfills certain needs for certain household, how can we make sure that we reuse certain parts so it fulfills a need for another household? So yeah, go, go on. What were you going to say? I was going to say, this is really interesting, right? Because you're going to hate me for saying this, but to me, IKEA furniture is basically disposable. <laughs> I can see the look of shock on your face. In the sense that, you know, have you ever been to a tip in the UK? No. Tell me more. Okay. So a tip is like, I guess you might know it as a dump. It's where people take their stuff to go and be recycled or, okay. or chucked yeah. out. Like if you're going to do your garden and you've got a bunch of like tree stumps or whatever, you'll go to the tip to go and bin it. Right? Yeah. Very, very English thing to go to, go to the tip. But when you go to the tip, right, uh, there's recycling for lots of different stuff and there's wood recycling. And I'm telling you like 20% of the wood recycling stuff is just Ikea stuff. Right? And I've always assumed that people looked at Ikea as hey, we have it. You can't really fix it because it's so flimsy to begin with. And if something goes, it's not like you can get that specific shell for this specific item that you bought yeah. five years ago, whatever else it is. You just recycle the whole thing. And yeah, it gets turned into, and it's energy intensive, blah, blah, blah. But it gets chipboarded up and then it gets probably made into some new IKEA stuff, right? Mm. So this kind of idea of, of repair is just totally alien to me. Like you don't repair something from IKEA, you throw it out and you buy a new one. That's one of my comments that I have here yeah. is, is for Ikea can do a better job. You brought that point really, you're, you're hundred percent right. In my opinion, they can improve that part, but they can yeah. also improve the reuse bit in, in, in that cycle, in that loop. So you know how Uniqlo has this, this, this program that you bring Uniqlo, Uniqlo clothes and they basically find a new house. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uniqlo does that. So they, they, yeah. they either recycle it. Um, or if they close it in good state, they, they donate it. Um, so then from a product design point of view, then in terms of literally just transporting your, your chest of drawers, right back to IKEA or wherever it needs to go, you actually have to design in the ability to disassemble it mm -hmm. rather than just assemble it, which goes yeah. back to, oh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I think it was the Odger chair that you were talking about last time with where actually yeah. they've taken inspiration from ski boots. So you can clip into it. You can clip the chair together, but you can also clip out. And, and take it apart really easily. Now, the reason why I make this point is because it's almost very different to, I've got, I've got one, my mum works in the furniture industry, right? Commercial furniture. So it's like stuff that's meant to last like be high quality and stuff like that. Yeah. And when you buy more expensive stuff, right? Stuff that's not Ikea. I don't know whether it's because you made the investment in it, but say for example, you buy a non Ikea sofa, instead of just like chucking out and getting a new one from Ikea, what you're saying, what you tend to do is go and get it re-upholstered. Re for example, so you'll, you'll go and get the fabric on the outside changed and, and the cushions will be changed to a different type of foam or a new foam, which will still have a lot of wear in it. So I wonder if IKEA wants to become more sustainable, 
And if it wants to get out of this mentality, which is you use it for a few years and you chuck it away and then, yeah, maybe it's recycled, maybe it's not, whatever, that's the end of it. You go and buy some more stuff from Ikea. Mm -hmm. Maybe Ikea just needs to make better quality stuff that lasts longer and is more expensive. That's a thesis. Fair enough. Uh, I just want to add a, a topic. I, I do think that Ikea is making the steps to to allow the user to do that. And one of the things that I that they did at the beginning of 2021 was to release digital disassembly manuals to oh, for wow. most of their common and, and most famous products. One of them I have here is a Billy Bookcase, the Brims bed, probably not pronouncing this correctly, but a, a bunch of sofa beds, a bunch of desks, a bunch of wardrobes and the Pong chair which is one of their, their most famous chairs. That's interesting because my, my traditional method of disassembling IKEA furniture is with a hammer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you definitely didn't go to engineering school, right? Did you? No. <laughs> but what is really interesting I here is I went to the that... tip. Is <laughs> what designers now need to think about, not just how you assemble it. These are pretty old products. So I'm, I'm certain that a lot of them were not thought, were not well designed for disassembly. I mean, now, even, even the Billy bookcase, right? Off the top of my head, it's got this, you know, like the back of the bookcase. Yeah. Basically, you need to put some nails in. Yeah. You need to put some nails in on a tiny yeah. bit of fit on a tiny bit of thing. And that it's like almost like a piece of cardboard. That's like a few millimeters thick. It's probably some like MDF type thing. Yeah. You've got to put your nails in and the nails go into some chipboard, which is so low quality that when you try and take the nails out, it rips out a bunch of stuff and. You know, that, that cardboard at the back is so low quality. That's the thing that usually goes first. And it's just like, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, that's why that, that's what I'm saying that these are pretty old products and they developed those assembly manuals, but now in the future, imagine it would be, it would be so ideal that if they can just, it's just so common for you to disassemble your own Ikea furniture and easy to transport to your new house. and using the same flat flat pack design, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I think they're moving to towards that direction, but there's so much that they need to fix. Okay. Uh, going back to, to the second principle, which is the, the circular product design principles. And this is made of five different pillars. I'm going to list the five of them and then go into each really briefly. Uh, number one is form, then function, price, quality, and sustainability form which is one of my, my, the most interesting ones, I, along with function, in my opinion, is basically focus on standardization. Can we make something well-designed that is just standard, but at the same time it stands out, but it's standard in the sense that you can reuse it and, and match the same way that I told you with the chair lab. So, so basically like a, a product designer at Ikea would have to make sure that their design abides by these principles. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Understood. And one of those is standardization in the form. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That standardization. And also, you know, that IKEA pretty much uses all this, the same screws or pretty much very similar screws. I was going to ask you that question, yeah. right? So do they use the same parts in multiple pieces? Like, and obviously screws and stuff like that, I can imagine be quite easy to standardize, but like, say for example, the same shelf types or whatever else it might be. I, I don't think that they focus on, on the same shelf types, but the, sa the same way right. that you assemble things mm -hmm. uh, using this, this type of screw that you, that you basically. I don't, I don't know if you have realized, but it's basically a, a you put a, some sort of pen in one side and then you put the screw on the other side that, that basically yeah. kind of like screws it in. So you don't really it's more have like to a nut and bolt really, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. It's a very yeah. simple to use nut and bolt. The other one is function, which is all about adaptability. And something that I really like about Ikea is that you have the same product that serves 
different functions in the household and you can, it can be adapted to many different use cases. So that's another thing. Price, as I said, that was one of the core things uh, that IKEA wants to achieve, which is offer great design at a very low price. Quality, as I, again, it goes back to the four loops and we already discussed that IKEA can improve in, in two of those loops, especially in refurbishment and reuse. But the main thing is, can we decide great quality, great design at a very low price? And finally, sustainability. And this is something that I feel the world is, is and I can I cannot disagree, but the world is going towards and IKEA wants to be uh, energy positive by 2030, which is great. It's a great achievement, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the world's most powerful companies can do much better than that. Recycling, right? Here's a, here's, here's a quick question for you, right? Yeah. Is there a limit to how much you can recycle wood? Because my understanding is that they'll get wood, they'll shred it up, they'll mix it with a bunch of glue, essentially glue, and then they'll make MDF or they'll make um, chipboard or uh, what's it called? Flywood, yeah. plywood. And if you just keep, you know, chopping that, you know, say for example, you get an Ikea piece, which is made of plywood already, then you shred that all up, add more glue to make something else, shred it up, add more glue. Like, is there a limit to how you can, how much you can recycle something? That's wood. Uh, That's wood. I, I don't know wood specifically. I don't know the, what, yeah. what, but it's a core thing of, of, of the material science in this case, but yeah. I have, I have my thoughts about recycling and I kind of, people think that by recycling something. And when I say people, I mean you living with you for the last three months, recycling <laughs> doesn't solve problems. three months. Well, it's not been uh, that long. Three weeks. Bloody hell. Weeks. I hope it hasn't felt it, that long. But it feels like three months now. Really. <laughs> it's been three weeks. Re recycling, recycling something doesn't make it good. Right. You still have to put a lot of energy to turn that product or that material into something else. So recycling is not the greatest thing to do if you can avoid the initial purchase, if that makes sense. So the, the idea of consuming, and this is something that well, we can, we can discuss later and, and you kind of mention it in part one, if you can avoid purchasing that product in the, at first it's much better than buying it and then realizing maybe I don't need it anymore, or it will feel it's. It's functioning in my house for one hold year on, hold and then recycling. Are you saying that I shouldn't just buy stacks and stacks of A4 paper just to put in the recycling so I'm doing more recycling? Are you saying that's a bad thing? That's not good for the environment. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to stop doing that. I'll have to go to Amazon and cancel all my paper orders. Yeah. Do you know, you just hear you should do more and more recycling. I mean, look, joking aside, I mean, we can go into my personal living habits, but maybe that's a separate show. However, I will say the following, which is, if you can assume that your energy is clean and sustainable, then the negative externalities become much less negative, in my opinion. That makes no sense. How, you're, how are you assuming your energy is clean? Based on the way that the energy mix in the UK has been moving for the last five years. <laughs> All right. The fact that coal is basically not used anymore. Natural gas is what's the is the main fossil fuel that we're using to fill gaps in the energy supply, but really it's nuclear, it's renewable, it's hydroelectric that are doing the heavy lifting in this country. Sure, but you can you are still consuming products that you don't need and sending products into the landfill in a yeah a I know I know but my but my point is if do. you if you assume a world and I think this is the world we're moving to and if I was in charge of the environment policy and stuff like that this is exactly what the priority would be where energy is clean then it becomes a lot easier to, and you've got to balance the, the mindset of a consumer, right? Look, this is a different conversation, but in terms of consumers have, they're, they're used to consuming, right? 
And mm-hmm. are you realistically going to be able to change their behavior so that a old Billy bookcase becomes as desirable as a new Billy bookcase? Probably not. But can you convince them to recycle? Yeah, it'll take a lot of effort and stuff like that. And if you can make their recycling as easy as possible in terms of access for that consumer, and if you can make it as, you know, as good as possible with good energy going into it and clean energy going into it, of course, yes, you're still using energy and it would be better in a perfect world where, you know, that energy isn't used. But if that energy is clean, then does it become really such a bad thing? And is it still a step forward in terms of where we are right now regarding our environment? I I would say yes. It's still a step forward, but I I think we can do much better. Big companies like Ikea could offer vouchers for you to, after you recycle X amount of products, you offer, I don't know, you get a hundred pound voucher. Oh, I I completely agree. But my point is, is that like incentivizing recycling is still very, is, is still important. It's still not a solved problem. And I think that it's unrealistic to assume that consumers won't buy things. And it's unrealistic to assume that consumers will prefer to reuse this than the other. Because I think certainly in this country, the mentality is still there of buy, buy, buy. And it's too much work, too much hassle, too much effort to change that underlying uh, mentality or that underlying attitude. And instead, make it as easy as possible for that consumer to consume in a clean way. And you can do that through recycling and you can make recycling worthwhile and good if you can make sure that the energy going into it, because recycling is energy intensive, the energy going into it is clean, in my opinion. Sure. But what if you can avoid the recycling since the very beginning? This is my point. It's it's easier to make recycling easier than it is to stop people trying to consume more because people are people. Sure, but I think we still need to change that habit as humans in the coming years. Fair enough, fair enough. If we, want, if, if we want to make sure we still have a planet. But anyway, that's a, that's another conversation. Maybe we can get a... The but Ikea, let's get back Ikea's, to... No, let, Ikea's head let, of environmental uh, policy or something. Let's get back to consumerism. And let's talk about all the cool, sweet home, smart home stuff that Ikea have got, right? So in the last five years, uh, they've been launching uh, a bunch of hot, smart home things. It's really interesting because, you know, obviously technology is coming into all of our lives. Um, and this is one example of some product lines that they're issuing in order to stay up to date. Some of these things are smart lights and what they call a gateway, uh, which you need to control your smart lights and other smart IKEA devices like your remote control uh, outlets. So you plug this into your plug and then you plug your toaster into your into mm-hmm. this plug and then suddenly you've got a Wi-Fi toaster. And they've been launching uh, a bunch of hot smart home things. It's really interesting because, you know, obviously technology is coming into all of our lives. And this is one example of some product lines that they're issuing in order to stay up to date. Some of these things are smart lights and what they call a gateway, uh, which you need to control your smart lights and other smart IKEA devices like your remote control outlets. So you plug this into your plug and then you plug your toaster into your into mm-hmm. this plug and then suddenly you've got a Wi-Fi toaster in case you need such a thing. Uh, they, they also sell a wireless motion sensors, uh, which you can connect to the whole system so you can walk into a room and your lights turn on, for example. I don't know. I, I don't know. We need to have an episode about this. I'm very skeptical about smart home stuff. I'm really just not into it. Bluetooth speakers as well. They've, they've got a really cool one. You know, you see those holes on desks where cables are supposed to come up for you. You see them on office yeah. desks all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got a Bluetooth speaker, which slots straight into that, which I thought was pretty cool. Huh. I've, okay. I've always thought they could make like a cup holder thing anyway. And they also sell remote control blinds, but you know, these are all smart home stuff. I think to be honest, this falls into the, does this really be, need to be made? Is it really high quality? Will it last a long time? Probably not. Particularly as technology changes right and there's like a new system or standard that they have to adhere to but one thing is really cool is their symphonic they call it their symphonic line 
right? It's like playing the word symphonic. And this is done in partnership with Sonos. And what's really interesting about this is from a brand perspective, they've partnered with uh, a brand that is all about, you know, my parents bought Sonos stuff, you know, five years ago and it's still around in the house, right? It lasts a long time. It's premium. But what they've done with Sonos, if they've taken Sonos technology and put it in a less premium product, pretty much. And the reviews are pretty good. And you can get a Sonos speaker for like £180, uh, whereas you can buy a Sonos X IKEA lamp, which has got a lamp and a speaker in it for like 150 quid. And this is really beneficial for Sonos. I don't know if you know that they're actually struggling right now in terms yeah. of... Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, in terms of the performance of their company, no one's buying Sonos stuff anymore. And this is great for IKEA because they get to partner with a brand which is like premium and IKEA isn't necessarily premium, right? If, if you know what I mean. So this is really interesting. Number one, because they're using technology to make their products better or to enable new products. It's really interesting from a brand point of view because, yeah. you know, IKEA is saying, hey, we're we're tech. You know, we're, we should be that one place where you do any kind of home furnishing, including if it's a smart home furnishing. But my question to you, Luigi, is... You are head of, I don't know, digital home automation products at IKEA. What would you make for 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 your customers and, and your consumers? I think this goes beyond of what you would make. Uh, what I do think that is... Oh, surely the, you've got some ideas. I'm going to flip the question and, and, and say this, is, this goes beyond the actual product that we built. And mm. it's more about creating, creating this symbiosis of brand attributes that come up by combining these two brands of like, let's say Sonos in this case, and then Ikea, or in the case of Lego, which is fun, creative, just it's, it's friendly for kids. And then Ikea, which they release a set of Ikea Lego products, and it is just a collaboration between them. So I do think that is it goes, this, this, this combination goes from a brand pro point of view and a know-how, but answering your question, what would I create? So my point here is beyond of the product that you are going to build or the exact product is what brand will fit the IKEA's uh, brand values. And yeah. something that that would be, that just came to mind that would be really interesting is, is Peloton is how can we make the, the indoor gym or the indoor, that's something that IKEA doesn't really have. They used to, they, I, th I think they do have home exercise equipment. Home exercise. I have never yeah. seen it. It's um, in Fight Club. Okay, it's in Fight Club. What are you talking about? Fight Club, Fight Club. The movie oh. we talked about in the previous episode. Yeah. I, I just think that there is a there is a market there in the future of health tech, health tech, and how people work out at home and how can we combine those things. What will you build? Um, well, this solves a particular need in my own life. I think they should make a smart bathroom cabinet with like a, a screen uh, behind the mirror, so you can like see the weather and stuff like that while you're brushing your teeth. Um, I think that'd be really cool. And they could also integrate like an anti-fog thing, which means that when you're having a shave or if you're like, you know, doing your hair or whatever in the mirror, you can actually see yourself. And I, I think that'd be really cool because it could plug into like a, like a shaver outlet and you can mount that in your room, in your bathroom. And I think that'd be really cool. And I think it's been done, but it hasn't been done well. And I think IKEA could be the people that do it well. So that's a free idea for yeah. you there, IKEA. Okay. Free ideas, IKEA. Free ideas. There you go. I'm um, talking about great ideas. IKEA released the their AR app. And I want to I want to explore with you why did they do that? And why did they decide to invest such a great amount of resources into making sure that that people are able to see their furniture, IKEA's furniture in their rooms through this AR app. It's all about two words, okay? 
online purchase. If you think about it, they have 2.5 billion people visiting online stores, okay? So that's about 1.5 1, 1 more billion people than they come to the physical store. So in theory, there is less friction. The problem is that whenever you go to, to the online store, you, you don't have that physical interaction with the brand and the products. So you don't really know how the product really looks like. So what IKEA was trying to do, and this was in an interview from, from IKEA CEO uh, a few years ago, if we can allow the user make more reliable buying decisions, then that will increase the amount of, of IKEA's, IKEA's online uh, sales, right? And back in the time in 2016, they had online sales of $1.6 billion. And their target was to get to $5.9 billion in online sales by 2020. And they saw this AR scenario as a, a big enabler of allowing people to see how their, their IKEA product would look in the, in the scenario before they even got it. So removing that friction of going to the store, interacting with the brand and making that even more user-friendly. Have you ever bought anything online from IKEA? No. Yeah, neither. Yeah. So, I, I, so I how's, it, even... how, how's it working out? We don't really know, right? Because we are maybe not their target customer in that, in that case. We have an IKEA 20 minutes from here. We are also two people out of the 1 billion people that visit IKEA stores and two people out of the 2.5 billion people that visit online IKEA stores, right? I don't know, but what we can see is that IKEA sale has been, have been increasing for the last few few years. But I think I would say it's very hard to attribute that just to AR. But I would say AR is a big part in that in in that growth. Awesome. I mean, I I remember seeing it on a I think it was an Apple event. I think maybe where they were showing somebody like placing a chair in their room. And yeah, I could, I think that's totally awesome. It's interesting how like different companies use technology. I was in to like visualize you know how things work. I was in yeah. their store, physical store yesterday. And um, it's so different to, to IKEA because it was a central showroom that was in the middle of London. It was yeah. in Soho. And me and my friend, and if you found something you liked, you would go over to these massive, it's like a giant iPad. It was like TV-sized iPad that was embedded in this. And you say, hey, I've seen that sofa. It's just around the corner. It's called this sofa. Yep, cool. Because it's made.com, they allow you to have different upholstery on it. So you could have like a leather finish or like a fabric finish or whatever to your sofa, for example. And you just go through and you select which one you want, like a leather, I picked leather, for example, and then you hit print and then it prints out like a physical card. Uh, they call no it a way. postcard. Yeah, literally like an A5 thing. And you print that and you take it home and then you go to your house and then you look at it like, yeah, I think I could work. It's just like a low tech way of doing it. That's like the um, worst way of doing it. I mean, is it? But you, you know, can have the same thing. A five. What, how different it is to have an A5 piece of paper than your phone. Yeah, I mean, I, I know what you mean. I'm not going to argue the point to, with you too much. Okay. But, you know, they're, they're, you know made.com, they come in at a, a higher price, right? And it's they're trying to, you know, maybe it's a different, you know, you might even argue that AR is a bit of gimmick gimmickry from Ikea. Uh, this is their kind of gimmick. And also it's a great way just to remind people, you know, if, that's, if, that, if you've taken that home, that little postcard thing, and you've just put it on your kitchen table or whatever to show your your husband or your wife or, you know, your partner, whoever, you know, then that's just hanging around your house. And then suddenly it's like, oh yeah, remember that. I need to go and buy that. Um, so that physical reminder, which you don't yeah. get. I could, I, for me as a marketer, I would actually be thinking I'd rather have that experience than the AR one. That physical environment. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Something yeah. that IKEA, IKEA has been doing going back to, to IKEA's 
brand interaction or having IKEA stores in the city center. And it's just how IKEA is looking at the future of shopping. IKEA announced about a year and a half ago, they're going to be opening stores in five of the biggest metropolitan cities in the world. And these are much smaller stores it, right now. For you to go to an IKEA, you probably have to, have to drive or take uh, the metro or, or an hour of public transport to get to the nearest IKEA, if, if not more. So what if we can just have a sm smaller stores where you can interact with the brand, okay? Make design purchasing decisions, see products and, 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 and buy maybe smaller products, but see the bigger products, see how they fit together, have different showrooms, talk to an IKEA brand ambassador, um, and then say, make your design decisions or, and purchase decisions right in the spot without having to travel for a, for a longer period of time. So what if you can remove that friction and increase those like brand temples that metropolitan stores will hold? What do you think about, about having those temples in, this, in city centers? I think it's really cool. I think they need to up their tech in order to do that. And they also need to improve their, their delivery. It's still expensive to get delivery from, mm -hmm. from Ikea in order to do that. But yeah, I, I totally see it. You want to look at it. You don't really want to carry that stuff home in your car, particularly as like fewer and fewer people drive in the future as well. You know, it's it's absolutely something that they that they should be doing. And uh, yeah, I can't wait until, you know, you can walk into your little local Ikea. Oh, I really like that Billy bookcase. And then the next day it's at your house and you don't yeah. have to take it yourself. I think yeah. that's definitely the future they should be aspiring to. Yeah, definitely. Something that I think AR and, and AR could enable is as you go through this IKEA buying experience, you just start booking, you can build like a virtual room in your house. And this is just a project that I saw as someone proposing online. Uh, imagine you have a, a virtual room and you start all the things that you see in IKEA and you can start placing them kind of like SimCity and you start placing them in your room and then you have uh, a button that says view in AR and you can start pretty much walking in your room in your house using all this IKEA furniture that you saw in this retail shop in the city center. So that, that's just next level for uh, online buying experience. So I'm really excited to see what, what comes. But again, this is not a, an IKEA project. This is just someone, uh, something that someone suggested online. So Ravi, imagine in 10 years from now, you buy your own house. Okay. As big as you want, wow. as small as you I want. To as... I have to imagine pretty hard then. <laughs> Maybe you just marry, marry the right person, right? You, you, you have your own house, but it's unfurnished. Mm -hmm. What would be the ideal purchasing experience for you? One store. I get to plan everything that I get to get to plan it all in detail before even I move in. Maybe because I've taken measurements of my rooms. And I'm able to visualize exactly how it's going to be. I'm able to make one purchase and it how all are you arrives. visualizing it? However, sketches. That, that, that's what is really interesting. You know, maybe AR, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But just okay. like, you know, it, you know, have I ever told you how I buy clothes? I go once per year to one store, which is Uniqlo. And I go with a budget and I'm like, I need clothes for one year. And that's what I do. And then I come home with my new clothes. I don't really buy bits and pieces here and there. I don't, I'm not really that kind of person. And maybe if it's not just one store, I'll go to a shopping center um, or for my, for my annual clothes shop. I'd like to do the same thing with furniture. Or what I might do is take a Steve Jobs approach, which is never buy anything unless I really, really love it and like live in an unfurnished house for like five years until it's finally done. I think we've been on a journey together through the weird, wonderful world of Ikea. We've talked about what it's been like, what it's like to kind of first get to know the brand, what it's like to enter one of their stores, 
what it's like to build their stuff and of course how their products are designed and, and IKEA's future. Luigi, what's one thing that you feel like you've taken away from this epic two-parter above everything else? I really enjoy the idea of IKEA's manual design and how that basically having a, a easy to read design and a, a well-designed assembly process enable IKEA to offer great quality products at a lower price and, and, and being able to market that as a fun part of the IKEA experience mm. enable IKEA's business model. So I think that the learning more about the, the, the manual design was fantastic. Nice. Nice. What about you? Uh, for, for me, the thing that I learned, I, well, I wouldn't say I learned it, but I kind of discovered it for our, our conversation, which is, and it's kind of a recurring topic, particularly around the environment is yes, IKEA makes good design, very accessible. It makes it very consumable. But is that a good thing? Mm. You know, is that actually what we need or what we want in the world? And, you know, if you are buying a house in 10 years time, would you rather instead of spending, say, for example, this is obviously far too low, but a thousand pounds to furnish your house and then you have it for like five years and then you chuck it all out and do it again. Would you rather just spend five thousand pounds over a few years and buy one or two quality pieces all the time or on an ongoing basis? and keep that for the rest of your life. Almost like the way things were pre IKEA before mass production, people would like hand down chests of drawers and yeah. beds, you know, through generations, right? Cause it lasted, mm -hmm. it was really high quality, uh, but also it was really expensive, which meant that some people didn't have beds as well. So that's the flip side. And for yeah. me, that's a really interesting question. I agree. I agree with you hundred percent agree. All right. Thank you for joining us on this IKEA journey. If you want to listen to more of Design by us, just follow or follow the show on whatever podcast you listen to so you get a, a notification every time you we have we release a new episode um every monday from now on we're going to release new episodes we're oh gonna, that's a bold claim it's a, a bold claim we are trying to be more consistent the thing is ravi's work with the government undercover traveling around the world makes it mm. really hard to do that. So please send petitions if you want us to release episodes every Monday and, and help us battle. The UK government. The UK government. Anyway, <laughs> so if you want to listen to more or continue the conversation, please follow us on, on, on Twitter. You can reach out to us at designbyos underscore FM on our personal handles. Pravi is occupied and Luigi underscore Dintrono. And if you just feel like donating or supporting the show because you really enjoyed this episode, what can they do, Ravi? Well, yeah, I mean, before we talk about what they can do, let's talk about why they can do it. We've just moved into a new place. We need a shoe rack. We can't get one from Ikea, so we have to spend big money on a shoe rack, like at least £30. Help us do that. Enable us to do that. Go to Patreon. There's a link in the description. Just chuck a couple of pounds a month our way. Yeah, help us get a shrek. That's not that's not true at all. Every money that we get from on, on Patreon is basically gonna go be reinvested in the show. We're trying to improve the quality and, and the production of each episode just yeah. to make it much better and easy to digest for you. Great yeah, to see exactly. you this time. And yeah, see you in the absolutely. next episode. Absolutely, and don't forget that the best way for us to improve the quality of the show is to make our shoes easier to reach. Peace right, out. See you next time. Bye bye.